Hi there, this is Jackson with the Big Fundamental Podcast. A quick note about the episode you're about to listen to. We recorded this before the Spurs played the Nets or the Clippers. Uh, unfortunately, due to some technical issues, this episode isn't going live until Monday the 23rd, which means you won't hear any conversation about those last two games. However, we have plenty to say about the Rockets rematch, as well as a rapid-fire round of questions about the first 25 games of the season for the San Antonio Spurs and the NBA all around. We'll be back after Christmas to take a look at the last year in Spurs basketball. So stick around. Welcome to the Big Fundamental Spurs podcast, the Kins 5 podcast on your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball. I'm Jackson Floyd. I'm Cameron Songer. And Cameron, the Spurs have been working overtime, uh, trying to get back to 500 here. No kidding. Uh, NBA history uh, does not have many teams that have played four straight overtime games, which is what the Spurs, I think they're the first. The first in 50 years is uh, the stat I saw, so it's pretty impressive. Uh, Spurs fans are getting a little more basketball than they wanted. So, Get, uh, getting their money's worth, especially if you uh, made the trip down to Mexico City. There were a lot of Spurs fans in attendance in that game. We'll talk about this past week here. It's good that the team had that, that stretch of days off last time we were talking. There weren't a lot of games to talk about, Jackson, because they'd had that uh, literally five days off or six days in between games or something like that. Just ridiculous. Uh, so, Having that number of overtime games, they were well-equipped for it and ended up with a pretty good record over the last week or so. Yeah, I mean, I think people might be a little more disappointed going into this podcast. The, the mood might be a little sour right now going into this <laughs> next stretch of games, just based on the most recent games. Let's talk about that. That was the rematch against the Houston Rockets, in which the Rockets won 109-107. to 107, And if uh, you went to bed at halftime, you might have uh, woken up and seen that, seen that score and just been like, what happened there? Because the Spurs arguably played their best half of basketball all season. Yeah, they were dominating in the first uh, two quarters. They were up, I think, 19 at halftime. It was really just kind of all Spurs. And then the third quarter, it was kind of a classic Spurs quarter in terms of what we've seen from them this year. Just really flat, uh, really no ability to score the basketball in the first five or six minutes of the third quarter. And against a team like Houston, they have the ability to, to score points in a hurry. They obviously shoot a lot of threes. I think some credit needs to be given to their defense. They, they are known as a more offensive team, but they are capable of very good defense at, in stretches. Uh, Mike D'Antoni kind of talked about it after the game. And then really, uh, they turned it on in the second half. He said they didn't really make any adjustments between the first and second half. I think it was just more mental and uh, effort-wise that the uh, the Spurs couldn't really find a way to score because they scored uh, 72 in the first half and, and, and finished with 107. So that tells you a lot about the discrepancy between first and second half. 72 in the first half, 35 in the second half, and kind of uh, a microcosm of the season for San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, 35 points in the second half equals their first quarter number at 35. Uh, Bryn Forbes, we saw set a record for threes made in a half for a spur with seven, I believe. Uh, six. He tied the record. Tied I think the record. he tied the, uh, it was either a Patty Mills or Marco Bellinelli record. Uh, but the fact that was more impressive is he didn't miss in the first half. Uh, six of six in the first half, and so Houston obviously changes their coverage on him a little bit in the third quarter, a little bit more attention to detail perhaps. They, obviously, he's on the scouting report as a good shooter. He didn't even get, uh, I think he maybe got one attempt in the third quarter, if that, didn't make it, and uh, didn't score again in the entire second half. He, he led the Spurs with 18 points in the first half, didn't get a bucket in the second half. And that's, you know, part of it is the... You know his limitations as a player, as a guy who you know isn't a superstar and doesn't really have too much of an ability to create his own shot. But I also think part of that is the Spurs didn't do enough to find the hot hand. I think so too. I mean, you, you do expect some regression to the mean. Like Bryn Forbes isn't going to shoot six for six every half of basketball. Um, but yeah, he needs to take more than one shot 
uh, in that second half, and the Spurs need to find a way to get him that ball there. I, I do think there was one key adjustment I saw the Rockets made. We talked about, you know, it, it's a team that scores in buck, bunches. They're going to find their buckets eventually. One thing they started doing was running their offense through Derek White on the defensive side there. So it would be kind of trying to pair that matches off, using some screens, getting some switches going. So you had Derek White matched up with your guards and not DeJounte Murray. And that speaks to kind of the game DeJounte Murray was having there. Uh, just He was shutting down Harden in that first quarter, and it ended up coming to to, to a point where they were getting into a little bit of a, a little testy there, a little uh, heated emotions, an exchange there in which uh, DeJounte Murray had a fast break dunk in the first quarter, uh, and James Harden uh, just walked up to him, kind of gave him a little elbow, gave him a little shoulder, and that led to a shoving match, double technicals, a both sides there, um, but you love to see the kind of, that kind of emotion, that kind of energy from a young leader in the Spurs. Yeah, the Spurs need that from DeJounte Murray to kind of have a little bit of that spark. There, there are going to be more tough games ahead. Uh, there are going to be more emotional games ahead as the Spurs are kind of continuing to just kind of claw their way back into the playoff conversation after that big losing streak earlier in uh, in the last month or so. So they they need that that sort of fight. I know they have the veterans who are, who have that playoff experience and maybe for them any given regular season game isn't as important and so for a guy like DeJounte Murray to come out and and be that spark plug is really important I I agree he did a great job defensively James Harden only scored nine points in the first half I don't think he got to the free throw line hardly at all he took a ton of shots was very inefficient uh, Lonnie Walker did a pretty good job when he was out there. He only played 10 minutes in this game. I think that's something where Spurs fans would like to see him out there a little bit more. We saw what he was able to do against the Rockets the, the last time these two teams had met, where he was not only getting it done on the defensive end, but also scoring in bunches. So to, to the, the fact that he wasn't really a big part of the Spurs game plan, or you know, especially in these late rotations in the second half when the game was starting to slip away, it's a little disappointing to not see him out there, especially because what he can do against a Hardner or a Westbrook but uh, that that defense in the second half against Harden wasn't there. He got back up close to to uh, let's see. I, mean, I think it was about thirty points. Uh, he had twenty eight, so well below his season average. Took him twenty nine shots to get there. So the Spurs will take that. You know, nine times out of ten, you'll say, "Hey, if you can make Harden have such a low effective field goal percentage." It, it, Ended up still was a win for the Rockets, though. That's the problem. Yeah, uh, we talked about, you know, a historic four straight overtime games there. And this question was posed to head coach Greg Popovich after the game, uh, and he didn't want to answer it. Um, But I'm going to pose it to you, too. Do you think those overtime games caught up to them there, finally? That's a lot of extra minutes of basketball, a team that could have been worn down. Um, I I don't know. I mean, a reporter was kind of hoping Popovich might attribute that to the reason they lost. Um, He didn't want to hear that. You know, it comes down to missing made baskets, he said. Um, But, yeah, what do you think? I'm I'm not sure that it has to do with the games that go back three or four overtime games because you remember that the first one in that stretch was the one against Houston. Then there was the, the long stretch off. Pretty much all those games before were in San Antonio. I honestly think it's the one game that came directly before it, which was an overtime game against the Phoenix Suns in Mexico City. So you have this turnaround, then a, a big travel day to go from Mexico City to Houston, and there's just the one day off in between. I think that has more to do with it than anything else. Uh, th- these guys have short memories. You know, it's, it's important as a basketball player when you're playing an 82-game season, you have to be able to sort of you know flush the last game and focus on the next one. 
But that's a, a very extraordinary circumstance is playing that game so far away from everything else. Mexico City does have elevation, so it wasn't just an overtime game, but it was an overtime game that was even more physically draining than usual. You add on to that a, a travel day right after that, and then you get ready to play uh, a, a rival in the Houston Rockets. I think that's that's what it was. And, you know, you could have you could have played a, a quadruple overtime game a week before. It wouldn't it wouldn't have had the impact on. Uh, Monday night's game the way Saturday's game did on Monday's game. So December 3rd, the Spurs play the Rockets. Uh, They're down big at halftime, and the Spurs are able to make that comeback. Reversing the roles here this time around in the rematch, Rockets down big at halftime. Spurs uh, kind of blow the lead there, and the Rockets are able to come back. So that's a game that the Spurs shouldn't have won that they won, a game that the Spurs should have won that they lost. They're splitting the series one for one of those games. I think you got to feel good about that. Yeah, I think especially you, you say the Spurs shouldn't have won that, that first game, and you could go back to that hardened dunk that <laughs> has been you know a, a central talking point now for about two weeks. Uh, the um, commissioner said it wouldn't have mattered. So, <laughs> Right, right. But, I mean, again, that was two extra points. The, the Rockets will you'll, we'll continue to hear it from Rockets fans. Uh, they, they, they won't forget about that anytime soon, just the way Spurs fans haven't forgotten about some of the big wins that San Antonio's had over the Rockets in the postseason. But, yeah, big picture – it, it the it does seem like there was some karma or some you know some higher power almost involved in uh, in overturning a 25 point lead that the Spurs had at one point a 19 point halftime lead uh, I, I I I do believe in the basketball gods and 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 they they struck their vengeance upon on upon the Spurs and, and one and one for across those two games if you sort of look at it as a holistic picture of basically a hundred minutes of basketball a little bit more than that you know two 48 minute games plus two overtimes. Yeah, they split. They split. They're, they're pretty even. Uh, two very close games, and you give each team a win and a loss, and you move on. So you mentioned the Mexico City game. Let's address that one now, too. Another overtime game, obviously. Uh, the Spurs win that one over the Phoenix Suns, 121-119. And, man, you got to talk about Patty Mills in that game. That was a classic Patty Mills game. Uh, you talk about one of his great games uh, of his career. 26 points. Uh, that's his season high, but I mean, he was bringing the fire, the intensity, the energy in that fourth quarter and overtime, and even hit the game-winning buzzer-beater basket in overtime. Uh, you love to see it from him, uh, from a longtime Spur, uh, from one of the guys, the old guard, the veterans here, the, the, the um, holdovers from those championship teams. Uh, and we talked about this last time in the podcast. Uh, to put together a winning season, to, to make a playoff run, you need contri- contributors to step up like that. You're going to get a game every once in a while from Bellinelli. You're going to get a game every once in a while from Rudy Gay. And this is the Patty Mills game here. Yeah, this was absolutely a Patty Mills game. That We had FIBA Patty back in business. Uh, and, and a lot of credit to the Spurs because they, were never, they weren't really out of this game. It wasn't the huge double-digit comeback, but they were down at halftime. They were down in the fourth quarter. Uh, Got ahead in the fourth quarter and then couldn't hang on to it. And I think that says a lot about this uh, scrappy Phoenix team. By the way, they were playing without Devin Booker. So uh, he's their best player. He is a guy who, if he was playing, I think there's no doubt the Suns win that game because he's a, he's a plus player for what he brings to the offensive side. And he's you know at least average on the defensive end most of the time uh, and has that capability. So, yeah, the Spurs, I, I, I'll use the L word. They were lucky. They were lucky to come away with this win. Uh Mentioned injuries to Devin Booker. How about the fact that the Spurs haven't had, I don't think any games missed to injury yet this year. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means for the Spurs moving forward and kind of putting them in context with the rest of the NBA. But uh, this is one they needed, I think, with with the way things had gone, especially with the previous game, which we'll talk about in a second as well, that that overtime loss to the Cavs. Spurs needed that one against uh, against the Suns and, and, and got it done. And, yeah, the, the depth is really important because the Spurs – 
They don't have a James Harden. They don't have a Luka Doncic. They don't have a Giannis Antetokounmpo. DeMar and LaMarcus are very, very good players, but you're not going to consistently say, give them the ball, everybody get out of the way, and they're just winning the game for us. That's not where it is, but the Spurs do have really good depth. Yeah, a pretty clean sheet so far for the Spurs across the board injury-wise. Just those three games missed by LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, but they were over to, able to overcome that injury uh, with relative ease, going 2-1 two, two and one, uh, in that stretch. Uh, it might get lost in the uh, in the, the, the midst that the, you know, Patty Mills had this great game, but we finally saw DeJounte Murray kind of return to that level he started the season at when he was a stat, sti- stat sheet stuffer, uh, kind of contributing all across the board. He did that once again against Phoenix uh, with 18 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, 1 block, contributing on all sides of the basketball. Uh, great to see that young player kind of overcome some adversity. Uh, he was benched for Derek White. Uh, he's trying to find his way back into a starting starting lineup, maybe. Uh, finding his way into a rotation as a bench player, too. Uh, and that minutes restriction is off, and so you're finally seeing some things click into gear for him. Yeah, I like what he did. Really, the starting lineup was kind of what you expect and kind of uh, a classic Spurs win for this season. Uh, Aldridge, Murray, and DeRozan all at 18 points each. Uh, Trey Lyle, 7 rebounds, 4 points. Bryn Forbes, 0 for 8 from the floor, 0 for 5 from 3-point range, and, and 0 points for yeah. the starting shooting guard. Unfortunately, that's kind of been a little bit of the story this year for the Spurs. Is It's either been red-hot Bryn Forbes or kind of like the guy you picked up from the YMCA, Bryn Forbes. It's uh, Shades of Danny Green, who earned the nickname Icy Hot uh, with his tenure here uh, in San Antonio. But Lonnie Walker, encouraging signs, 16 points in 21 minutes in that game. So, again, just looking at Lonnie Walker's stats for a minute here over the course of these last few games, it seems like he's, if when he's getting playing time, he's doing well with it. But if he's only getting a few minutes, it's really hard for him to find his rhythm. Uh, on the flip side, looking at Phoenix, Frank Kaminsky really hurt the Spurs. And it's, I'm rooting for him as a Big Ten guy. He's sort of having a, a renaissance here on his... Uh, his second chance in the NBA, and Ricky Rubio, my goodness, 25 points and 13 assists. Uh, also, Aaron Baines, former Spur, coming off the bench, got 13 and 8 for the Suns in that game. That, that's a fun team, you know. If it wasn't for uh, the fact that the Spurs have to play them a few more times this year, I would absolutely like rooting for that team. They're almost more enjoyable to watch without Devin Booker because he's a guy who does demand the ball a lot. He's, he's, an, he's an exciting player with the ball in his hands, but this team just has a lot of guys who are who are fun, to say nothing of Kelly Oubre, uh, who is one of the new guys in the NBA who shows up with really exciting outfits when he shows up to the gym <laughs> and has had some really fun dunks. Frank Kaminsky, it's, it, you know, he just has that sort of old-school vibe to him. Ricky Rubio is still one of my favorite players to watch. This is a the the sort of it's an up-and-coming team, and unfortunately for the Spurs, they're kind of in the way right now in terms of getting into a playoff spot. But... Uh, Keep an eye on the Suns. Yeah, Frank Kaminsky, you mentioned an old-school player. I, I would say shades of Kevin Love, who uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. gave the Spurs trouble in the game beforehand. Yeah. Uh, there was no answer for Kevin Love in that uh, loss to the Cavs in overtime uh, just a few days prior to that Suns game. Uh, the, the Spurs lost to Cleveland 117-109. to 109. In overtime, of course, uh, Kevin Love, 30 points, 17 rebounds, was unstoppable, was playing like a guy who knew he was on the trade block, wanted to kind of raise that uh, trade status there um, and kind of make his, make it known, hey, I'm worth trading for. Uh, and you, you're not going to stop guys who are playing with that kind of uh, intensity. Yeah, so as much as Spurs fans want to forget about this game, and it, it is just one game in an 82-game blip, it is worth talking about. This, I think, in, in my opinion, is, is the most inexcusable loss the Spurs have had in a really long time. This is a Cleveland team that's playing the second game of a back-to-back. They were on an eight-game losing streak. There's all this talk about the fact that Kevin Love kind of doesn't want to be there, doesn't really get along with new coach John Beeline. This is a really weird mishmash of young guys, uh, you know, a lot of 
Uh, a lot of their ball handling is handled by two guards who were first and second year guys in uh, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. This is a Spurs team that was rested. They had some momentum. They were playing at home. Did I mention Cleveland was playing the second half of back? I mean, this, this was, should have been a schedule win for the Spurs. Instead, it, they, it went into overtime, and it was a loss. And in a Western Conference where every game could mean the difference between uh, getting in the playoffs or not getting in the playoffs, this is one that really the Spurs needed to have. It, you could look at individual stat lines. You could talk about motivation or getting up for certain games. They, they they failed in this game. Yeah, I mean, and we talked about that six days of rest they have going into the game. It's a little bit of a rust versus rest thing, and the shots were not falling for the Spurs in that first half, uh, and they were trailing uh, in all aspects of the game from the first quarter on, and it kind of ended up having a little bit shades of that Rockets game where Lonnie Walker came in that fourth quarter and provided some energy, provided some spark, had a monster duck on one, dunk on one end and was playing solid defense on the other, uh, and the Spurs were able to rally back could not complete the comeback. Uh, DeMar DeRozan uh, missed a couple of clutch free throws. Uh, he makes those, he seals the game. Uh, it, Kevin Love ends up hitting a three-pointer at the other end. Uh, DeMar can't hit the uh, long two to send it, uh, to, to keep this game from going to overtime. The game goes to overtime, and it's the Kevin Love show in overtime again. Again, unstoppable performance from Love. Um, and you got to give it to DeMar DeRozan, who owned it at the end of the game, uh, speaking of the postgame. Uh, put, the, put the loss on his back there. If he makes those free throws, if he makes one of those shots, he admitted he went into hero mode a little bit, trying to find the win for the Spurs there, uh, but just got, couldn't complete that there. Um, but you look across the board at the last uh, seven games the Spurs have played, you take out that Pistons game, there's been some fight in this team. Uh, there hasn't been a blowout loss, uh, except for that Pistons game, which we will not talk about uh, <laughs> again on this podcast. Oh, it's done. Uh, <laughs> it's in the past. It's in the dustbin of history. We're moving on. So, I mean, you like seeing them play in these tough games and, and these games that come down to a few baskets, uh, these four straight overtime games. That's what brings a team together. And this was a team that, you know, there was a lot of conversation about, do these players like each other? Is there beef between some of the starters on the team there? Do they even want to be here? You know, is it time to move on from these guys? You want to see them come together uh, and play some tight games like this. And and come out ahead in some of these games, too. I know they were kind of 5-5 five and five over this stretch. Uh, to get into the playoff hunt, to get back to the 500 record, they got to be a little bit better, win these games that come down to just a couple of boneheaded plays. Uh, but it's a team moving in the right direction as we look ahead to, to what's next here for this team. Yeah, quick look at the standings really fast. So the good news is the Spurs are only uh, a game and a half out of the 8 seed as we're recording this here on a Wednesday Uh Right now, the seven and eight seeds in the West are both below 500 teams, OKC, Sacramento. The problem is there's three teams in between that eight seed and the Spurs, Portland, Phoenix, Minnesota, then San Antonio with Memphis only a half game behind the Spurs. So there really is this sort of blah, this sort of blob uh, between seven and, quite frankly, 13 yeah, those, in the Western Conference. Those middle-tier teams in the West are all evenly matched. Those are all comparably talented teams. Uh, I think the Spurs kind of beat a few of those teams in depth, so you'd think that might carry over. Uh, and they, I think they've got the best coach in the league, too, so hopefully that kind of makes a difference there. Uh, but, yeah, no one wants to win. <laughs> and the, to the, get to that the, the problem is, there. yeah, there's seven teams, two playoff spots, and... One of those teams in that group of seven is going to end up with the third worst record in the West. I'm assuming Golden State and New Orleans kind of continue to stay bad. Uh, but right now, it's it's a kind of a similar story in both conferences, whereas the, I, the East 
it's a little bit less wide open for those seven and eight spots, similar in that uh, those those kind of bottom two playoff spots are much closer to 500 than they are to, you know, significantly good. And then there's a handful of other teams that are within sniffing distance. But right now, the West, it's really hard to call. Uh, uh, the right trade, the wrong injury could go a very long way. And a, a game and a half in, in the standings at this point is is nothing. You know, that's that's a, a just a, a couple guys getting hot shooting the basketball over the course of 82 games. The Spurs could absolutely put themselves in conversation for the eight seed. The problem is you figure the injury luck is going to turn at some point. The Spurs have been really lucky in terms of injuries, haven't missed much of anything. They're at full strength right now, and I don't think there are any other teams that can really say that at this moment, uh, maybe one or two. And then the schedule gets a lot harder. The Spurs have not been a good road team. We've been talking about the rodeo road trip. We know it's coming. It's 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 on there. It's on the schedule. The Spurs are three and nine on the road this year. Uh, seven and seven at home. So they've been just all right at home and and have been kind of bad on the road. So you you worry you worry a little bit. Yeah, the rodeo road trip is kind of what sealed the fate of last year's team. Uh, another team that you know performed pretty terribly on the road, and uh, we're coming off a really hot stretch in December and January. That's kind of when Derek White started making a name for himself. He's come back from injury, making his way into the rotation there, and they pull off a stretch, about a seven, eight game win streak, the longest win streak of the season for the Spurs down the road there, and then they hit the rodeo road trip and fell back into the seventh, eighth seed kind of realm, and were able to pull off a seventh seed, uh, but we saw what that did to them in the playoffs there. I mean, before that, se- before the schedule turns for this team, they've got a seven-game stretch where they could push themselves into the conversation, kind of separate them from that that middle tier that we talked about, and and, and kind of secure more favorable positioning in the playoff seating before heading into that stretch uh, where the season turns brutal. Uh, let's talk about those next seven games. They're playing Brooklyn, the Clippers, the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, the Pistons, the Warriors, and OKC. I mean, looking at that lineup coming up here, the, the the schedule up ahead for them, I don't think 5-2 and two is out of the question before things turn. No, absolutely. We'll start by talking about this this Nets game because this is a, a, an absolutely winnable game. The two best players on the Brooklyn Nets roster will not be playing in this contest. Uh, this is Thursday night, uh, Spurs-Nets, a, a 7.30 tip at the AT&T Center. The Nets have a better record right now. Obviously, they're paying Kevin Durant a max salary to not play this year. Uh, Kyrie Irving also out with an injury. They've been solid in his absence. Spencer Dinwiddie, who's been a guy who's come on a lot over the last few years, has really carried the load for a team that just on paper doesn't look like it should be that much. Uh, Dinwiddie averaging uh, 21 points per game on 43% shooting, so not very efficient. Uh, But also, uh, Karis LeVert will be out for that team as well. So the Spurs should be able to take advantage of home court. They've been, other than that Mexico City trip, they've been in Texas you know, it's an easy trip to come back from Houston, and obviously they'll be motivated after the Monday night loss. I, I expect the Spurs to, to come uh, out and, and play well in that Brooklyn game, e- even though the Nets are right now a playoff team in the East. Yeah, Spurs fans may be breathing a sigh of relief knowing that Kyrie Irving is probably going to miss this game. Uh, you look back at Kyrie's career, he loves playing in San Antonio. Maybe it's the Churros, maybe it's the Riverwalk. Who knows? Uh, but let's not forget, you know, March 2015, he sets a career-high 57 points, 7 for 7 for 3. That game went to overtime. This is when he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers for that first cha- uh, finals run they made where they lost to the Warriors. Um, but yeah, he had a buzzer beater in over- to send it to overtime. He scored 27 points that fourth quarter in that overtime. One of those most memorable performances of his career. He's not going to be there, but that doesn't mean there aren't guys on the Nets who can step up. Uh, if you're going to be a playoff team, you've got to beat teams without their best players on your home court. Absolutely. Uh, 100%. 
you hate to use it, the words must win at this point in the season, uh, but it's starting to feel like the Spurs just don't have that much of a margin for error. You know there are going to be some weird games. Things happen. It's an 82-game season, and these are all talented guys. Guys will just kind of come out of nowhere. Guys will have randomly really cold nights, and guys will get hurt. Guys will sometimes just get the flu. Uh, so you got to take advantage when, when you have an opportunity like this. And uh, the Spurs have an even better opportunity, I think, for another real statement win the the following game against uh, the L.A. Clippers coming back to town. Yeah, you can't look past the Nets game to the Clippers game, um, but that one is kind of looming there when Kawhi Leonard returns to the building. Uh, I just want to quickly address kind of the the conversation that happened a few weeks ago uh, when Kawhi returned to Toronto. Uh, After leaving Toronto in the offseason to go to the Clippers, um, he was given his championship trophy, uh, his championship ring, uh, the, st- the, the fans were kind of uh, applauded for applauding his return, for, for praising him, for uh, cheering him on his return there. And people just went off on San Antonio for whatever reason. Man, look how Toronto, that's how you treat a star player when he returns. A guy who gave so much to your city. You, you cheer him, you praise him, you don't boo him like the Spurs fans did. Two completely different scenarios it's, there. It's apples and oranges. And... Yeah, it's it's so different. In a lot of ways, similar. I mean, apples and oranges are both, you know, fruits that you eat. <laughs> so in some ways, it's similar. It's a, it's a guy who won a finals MVP coming back to the, the team that – or coming back to the city where he, he won it. But the there was never any animosity. There's no reason for any ill will – between the Raptors and or between the Raptors and their fans and Kawhi Leonard, they knew what they were getting when they traded for Kawhi. Leonard. They knew it might just be a one-year rental. They knew that they were in a position where they were a good team that couldn't really get over the hump, and they were hoping he would be the guy who would do that. And he exceeded all of those expectations. And then when he finished up there, they were hoping they could convince him to stay, but they knew. I think everyone sort of knew his heart was in Los Angeles, and that's where he really wanted to end up. So that. Uh, divorce between Kawhi Leonard and Toronto, everyone sort of saw it coming. Everyone knew it was happening. It was sort of an open and closed book, and he, the expectations were just different. In San Antonio, he was supposed to be the next Tim Duncan. He was supposed to be the guy who was going to be the centerpiece of the Spurs franchise for the next decade and a half. And then somewhere along the way, things went wrong between Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs medical staff and the front office and this and that. And he maybe felt he wasn't getting opportunities to be as much of a face of the franchise because the Spurs also had LaMarcus Aldridge. He was in Tim Duncan's shadow for so long. He was sort of the... He was the best player in that uh, 2014 NBA Finals. He, He bested LeBron. I'm not sure if maybe he thought that something else was going to happen. The Spurs were going to change the way they played around him because now he was this super-duper star, and maybe he had a chip on his shoulder for 2015, 16, 17, and so on. But the expectation was different, and and his contract was different. The Spurs traded him with a year left on his contract. Kawhi Leonard left Toronto as a free agent. He had no obligation to them, whereas when Kawhi Leonard asked to leave the Spurs, he was still supposed to be a Spur for the following year, and he said, no, I really don't want to do that. I know star players have asked for trades from other teams before. Um, There's been a few acrimonious kind of relationships that have turned sour across the league, but there hasn't been a divorce as nasty in the NBA as Kawhi is from San Antonio. It was so prolonged. I mean, you look at some of the other ones that have happened in the last decade where where star players have asked to leave. You think of Chris Paul in New Orleans. You think of Paul George in Indiana. You think uh, LeBron in Cleveland when that happened. You think Anthony Davis in New Orleans. This one was so public, mm-hmm. uh, and that, that was just such a, 
And the fact that it kind of came out of nowhere that this was something that was so new for San Antonio and so unexpected that it had just been a franchise that had just plugged along. You know, you keep you have a superstar player and you plug in pieces around him. There had been so much. And obviously this was happening after Tim Duncan was gone, but still you had Tony and Manu, you had LaMarcus Aldridge in place. Things were there for the Spurs to continue to be, if not the best team in the West, because you're still talking about a peak Golden State team, to be a very good contender in the West. And you think about kind of the last game Kawhi Leonard played as a healthy Spur before all the injuries started happening. That was that game one of the uh, 2017 Western Conference Finals, the Zaza Pachulia game. That's where the Spurs expected to be. They expected to be right back in the Western Conference Finals kind of conversation. And so when Kawhi did the whole thing in the 2017-18 season and then the trade, yeah, it, it, it hurt fans a lot more. Uh, the, the better comparison I would think of would be Vince Carter in Toronto and how long it took fans there to, uh, I'm not even sure forgive him, but just sort of come to terms with what actually happened. Kawhi has a long way to go until he hears something other than boos at the AT&T Center. Yeah, I'm sure he might hear less boos this time around. Sure, it's, this, is now, this is now the third game back for him. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it, it might reach a point where the Spurs eventually come to terms with it. It's not going to be this game. <laughs> no, no, and, and you, make, you make a point. This is the third game. It's now the holiday season. There might be some of that forgiving. No, not yet. Not yet. Still a lump of coal for Kawhi Leonard as he returns here. And then after that game, they go to Memphis. Uh, Memphis beat the Spurs in the first matchup earlier this season, but this is a winnable game against a team that's in the, the the cellars there of the Western Conference, I mean, alongside the Spurs, but a team that the Spurs are expected to beat if they want to kind of push towards the playoffs there. Uh, I, I think Memphis has the Rookie of the Year front run right now in John Morant, um, and we'll talk more about that later on there too. But, uh, yeah, you got to go into their building and you got to beat them if you want to kind of jump into the seating there. And then if you look past those games, Dallas up, again, up ahead here might be without Luka, uh, might be without Luka Doncic there. You get, uh, you get Detroit, a rematch, maybe a redemption game from that 30-point blowout that we're not talking about again. And then Golden State and Oklahoma City. Let's see the Spurs team go 5-2, and two, maybe s- get a sneaky win there against Dallas or against, uh, you know, against uh, one of these other teams. The Clippers make it a 6-1 uh, kind of stretch there and, and make some different distance between you and, and the rest of the Western Conference before you go into this back-to-back against the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, you gotta get you got to get to that situation and be closer to 500. That, that back-to-back against Milwaukee is uh, January 4th and January 6th, so pretty much right at the uh, the start of the new year. Uh, the Spurs have some games to get through there first. You don't want to be looking ahead too far, obviously. But uh, over this whatever seven-game stretch, four and three isn't going to cut it. You need at least five and two, and hopefully six and one, because you need to start making up some of the ground here between where you kind of need to be to be comfortable in calling yourself a playoff contender and the reality that yeah, the tougher games are coming. All right, do you want to take your uh, turn our attention to the, the scuttlebutt around this team right now? Uh, I like that this word has become a. Uh, this is this a is now a feature. Thread it's, here. it's a big fun pot. That's a big fun word. Uh, I want to first talk about uh, Dejounte Murray's response to that heartbreaking loss against the Houston Rockets. Uh, Dejounte Murray is someone who is not afraid afraid to uh, turn to social media to address the fans. He uses it as a two way street there, um, and he took to Twitter um, on December seventeenth just to remind fans that you know they're going to get this thing going in the right direction sooner. Here's his full message. To all the loyal, diehard Spurs fans who wins and lose with us, uh, grammatical issues are his, uh, we will get this thing going the right direction sooner than later, and I promise that. Uh, you like to see a young leader kind of address that, kind of acknowledge that this isn't where they want to be, and they're going to turn this around. Yeah, and it's, it's very much a 2019 kind of thing to do where you have a, this is a fourth-year point guard on a team with a lot of veterans, and he's the guy who's the voice on social media. He's the guy who... 
uh, among the Spurs, and you know there was much ado about nothing about Demar deleting some of his Instagram posts, and Lamarcus, obviously a much more old school guy who's not as involved on social media. This is this is going to be the leader of this team, uh, you know, for better or worse, and you know he's still finding that groove back. He obviously missed all of last season. Uh, was a guy who wasn't expected to do much his first season, had that big breakthrough, second team all defense as a second year player, missed his third season. This is his fourth year. He has that contract extension. The Spurs very invested in this guy. He's very invested in this team in this city. And I really like seeing him take ownership more and more as, uh, as he progresses and continues to earn respect in that locker room. Definitely. And another guy who uh, took ownership this week, uh, Keldon Johnson, uh, owned the Wisconsin Herd and the, and the G League uh, Tuesday night when the Austin Spurs went up against that team. Uh, 32 points, 7 rebounds, uh, a very efficient 12 for 17 uh, field goal shooting there, and uh, contributed four three-pointers too. I, I like his game. I think the Spurs kind of got a steal at 29. The Spurs have had real success drafting at that at that number in that slot. That's where they got DeJounte Murray a couple years ago. And uh, Derek White as well was also a 29th pick. The Spurs have had success there. Keldon Johnson, obviously just uh, one, year out of, one year in Kentucky at uh, a high school. So he's still 19, 20 years old. He, we'll see him. He'll be, he'll be a factor. In, uh, in this Spurs team in years to come. Obviously, it's a very crowded uh, lineup in front of him in terms of getting minutes at that two or three spot. He's a little too small to play the four, except in really small ball kind of lineups. The problem for him is his jump shot. So if he's draining threes consistently, that's, that's encouraging. He'll still have games where he doesn't shoot the ball well. He's a high-energy guy, high-motor, really athletic, uh, really kind of fits in what the Spurs, I think, will be trying to do and what, where they've been at their best at times this year, which has been in transition. You get Lonnie and DeJounte and possibly Keldon, you know, in, in sooner rather than later in the next, you know, two or three years. That's a dangerous fast break kind of team. Uh, you, you add, you know, I'm not sure if you keep a Bryn Forbes as just sent a trailer to shoot threes, or maybe that's Lucas Samanich who just kind of, you know, runs up the floor and trails and makes, a, and makes a three. That's the direction the game is going. You need to be able to score in transition, and the Spurs are really good at that. They're, they've been an efficient team on the fast break. So, Cameron, uh, looking forward to what the Spurs should do in the future, um, should they always trade for the 29th pick in the draft? If, even if they're in the lottery next year, should they just go ahead and trade down to <laughs> number 29? Uh, because they, they're finding consistent players there. Uh, that seems to be their wheelhouse. Uh, I mean, even going back to t- Tony Parker, who's the 28th pick, you're kind of still picking that range there. Um, let's see if they can keep finding gold, uh, finding uh, these hidden gems, uh, these players who uh, who are, I guess, fall lower than they're supposed to be drafted, like Calvin Johnson did, like DeJounte Murray did, uh, and that's, that's value right there. I do want to talk about one other thing we have this under the scuttlebutt category before we move on, is uh, how much do you trust these numbers and these forecasts, these models? Uh, 538 has a ton of data out there, and they, there's a lot of things they use to build that uh, forecast, but right now they have the Spurs as the fourth worst team in the NBA, ahead of just the Warriors, Hornets, and Knicks. It gives them just a, uh, a less than 1% chance to make the playoffs, and the, it was low on the Spurs to start. It's been kind of low on the Spurs the last uh, year or so, but uh, less than 1% chance to make the playoffs, and, and really lumping the Spurs there with the very dregs of the NBA makes it uh, makes it tough because uh, the, it was a 15% chance to start the season. So you're looking at potentially 
not much of a, you know, not much to look forward to, but I think there was reason for optimism, you know, okay, yeah, they don't believe in us. But now that you, you've seen this team and you see how healthy they've been and the results that have come out on the court and what they still have to face, yeah, it's starting to feel like the, the playoffs might really be a long shot for this team. But you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, there's always a chance. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that the, you've got to give the forecasts some sort of credence there because they are looking ahead. And looking ahead on the Spurs team, they still have the toughest stretch of the schedule ahead of them. That's the worst schedule in the NBA uh, as ranked by 538, too. Um, and, I mean, honestly, I think it goes back to something you shared from Kirk's Goldberry uh, about how the league is changing, how these long three-pointers are suddenly becoming better shots than the 16-footer. Uh, you look at the numbers, the percentage there, teams are winning when they shoot those 28, 29-footers, those long threes, and not the 16-footer. But you pull out the list of who shoots the 16-footer, uh, and the Spurs have the number one and number two players shooting that 16-foot jump shot in uh, LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan. So, I mean, they're not playing with that recipe for success right now. I do think we've seen some shades. When they get going on the three-point shot, when they can shoot the ball, they are a different team, and I think you might see that kind of gel, little, little kind of click into place there as these guys find their shots. Uh, I mean, we've seen recently DeMar DeRozan's taken more three-pointers. It'd be nice to see LaMarcus Aldridge step back and take a few, too. Um, but, I mean, there are still ways to change that forecast, um, but, man, it's a daunting road ahead. Yeah, and uh, you, we talked about that uh, that back-to-back against the Bucks coming up, a home-and-home, which is rare in the NBA. I like to see them. Those are fun. Uh, and the Bucks have been one of the best teams in the NBA as we look around the league. Uh, th- between them and the Lakers, they have this big uh, matchup on a Thursday night this week. It was very highly anticipated for the longest time. They were the only three lost teams. I think they might only be the, the only four lost teams left in the NBA now. Uh, the Bucks just had a long winning streak snapped. They had won 18 straight before the Dallas Mavericks nipped them earlier this week. And uh, the the Mavericks also snapped the Lakers' long winning streak, and they're doing this without Luka Doncic. And I know this is we've joked that this is now a, a Luka Doncic uh, fan podcast and a fan account on our uh, Big Fun Pod Twitter account. They're still solid. Kristaps uh, Porzingis really starting to come into come into his own now. That's a really interesting team to me. We can talk about trades a little bit later on. That they the the knock on this Dallas team is that they don't have the supporting cast around Luca and Chris Stapps. That's obviously your your center for the next hopefully decade if you're a Mavericks fan. Uh, to me, the way Luca has been playing, he's still in his rookie deal, and now is the time to kind of pounce and maybe try to think of this as a window sooner rather than later. And we've seen teams run into this pitfall though. I think the the Pelicans fell into this trap. I think the Sixers might have fallen into this trap a little bit with saying, hey, we have you know a Simmons and an Embiid while they're still on their rookie deals, let's go all in. These guys, when you're on your rookie deal, by definition, you're, you're in years one through four. And it's really a lot to put on a young guy, uh, guys who are usually one and done. So year four, you're a 22, 23-year-old. You're asking them to be the best player on a championship team. And, and you're, you know, the idea being that you can go get some more expensive veterans to be really good role players, you know, that, that the, the model, I guess, being Chris Bosh in Miami or Kevin Love on those Cleveland teams where you're paying them superstar money, but they're really not the best guy. I'm not sure the Mavericks need to go that route. I'm very interested to watch them, especially in the context of the fact that, yeah, they, they can hang with the Bucks and Lakers. Uh, that's the team that should have gone out and signed Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> oh boy, that's a big fun idea, and I like it. Uh, I mean, that's a. I mean, you're talking about a team that needs a third guy. Uh, that supporting cast isn't there, like you said. They've got some good bench players, and that's what kind of gave them the lead over the Bucks there in that win. Uh, but man, Carmelo would have been fun on that team. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, you talk about a lineup of Kristaps, Mello, and uh, Doncic there. Uh, you put uh, Seth Curry and maybe Jalen Brunson out there with them. Uh, that's a fun team to watch. Uh, I'm all about it. <laughs> I think Carmelo is thriving in Portland, and that might push Portland into the playoffs there, a team that was struggling. But, man, it would have been fun to see Dallas with that third guy. Uh, yeah. Other thing around the NBA, uh, our thoughts are with uh, David Stern and his family. He was hospitalized after a, a really scary health situation. And, uh, obviously, the former commissioner who's still uh, involved in the NBA and, and plays such a huge role in making the modern NBA what it was, uh, you know, especially this time of year. You, you, want, uh, you, you never want to say anything like that, but this time of year especially really – is a, a shadow over the NBA right now in in a, in a bad way, and we, you know we're wishing uh, for the best for the commissioner and his family. Yeah, the, uh, according to the Associated Press, the 77-year-old suffered a brain hemorrhage while having lunch in a Manhattan restaurant. Uh, the update this week was he's still in recovery, in serious condition, following surgery. Uh, he he was the commissioner at a time when the league rose to prominence when they changed face. You talk about installing the, the draft lottery to, uh, to give, uh, to, to kind of change the odds there. And, and to give the Knicks Patrick Ewing I didn't want to say that, but yeah. You did. <laughs> if you subscribe to that conspiracy, yes. <laughs> uh, but he, he kind of was the leader of the NBA when the NBA became a, a league that was taken seriously. Uh, you're talking about the Michael Jordan years, the Magic Bird years. Uh, and he played a big role in kind of making that so, kind of keeping the league in the public prominence, but also the rules that he changed, um, the way he led the league. So um, speed recovery to him, uh, keeping his family in our thoughts there. Um, I want to take this time now to um, take a look at the season so far. We're about 25 games in. That's a good hallmark. You know who these teams are. Uh, we know who the Spurs are, unfortunately. Um, but let's take a look. Uh, let's, let's address some rapid-fire questions here and, and see what we think about the team so far into the season. So you're asking them and I'm answering them? And, and I'll provide my answer too. Yeah. Okay, so, cool. Uh, All right. First off here, are the Spurs going to finish the season with a losing record? They're 10-16 and 16 now. The answer is yes. I agree. Uh, just that schedule ahead is uh, looking pretty poor here. Uh, that being said, though, is a team with a losing record going to make the playoffs? I think the eight seed in the East will. I think the, the West will sort of shake out where the, the we, we talked about there are two playoff spots and seven teams trying to get them. As more West teams start to beat up on the East teams a little bit more, and then as more uh, as the top of the West starts to maybe rest some guys, I, I think, yeah, I think that that eight seed in the West will be at least a 500 team. Uh, I disagree. I do think the West will have a losing record and that eight seed, just the top heaviness uh, on both sides of the league. Uh, and none of these teams are, are consistent yet. Maybe one of them gets there, but I don't think it's enough to make a, a, a team get into that uh, into the 500 mark there to make that eighth seed there. Um, are the Spurs making the playoffs? I'm assuming based on your last two answers. Yeah, no, the answer is no. Uh, I like the Spurs. It's an eighth seed with a losing record. Uh, that'd be a lot of fun to see. Um, <laughs> it'd be a quick playoff exit, I, 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 unfortunately. At the hands of the Lakers? Uh, we'll see. Um, so you don't think the Spurs are making the playoffs. Does that mean they are buyers or sellers as the trade line approaches? They are sellers. I, it's difficult. I think they have the potential to set the market. I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. Uh, they do have some tough contracts to try to trade, but one guy I would think maybe has some value in the market would be Rudy Gay. I think they're going to try to sell. I think the Spurs do absolutely nothing. <laughs> that seems more realistic. We'll see. All right, more minutes this season. Damari Carroll or Luka Samanich? I think I'm going to go with Luka Samanich just because I think the Spurs will probably go on a losing streak at some point, and if it happens sooner rather than later, I think it becomes easier to sort of pack it in. If they're still in the mix come late February, you'll still see Damari Carroll in the rotation and Luka Samanich in Austin. Uh, but if things don't turn around pretty soon, I think you start getting the young guys some more run. 
Uh, I think, I mean, you know, Spurs fans, Spurs fans might have forgotten that Damari Carroll was signed to a three-year deal, and at some point in time, the team's going to have to look at that and go, we've got to figure out a way to play him. So his minutes might rise there. Uh, Shamanich is still a very raw player. I think Kelvin Johnson might make that jump earlier. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, it's still a conundrum for them to figure out here. Uh, now, will these Western Conference Finals be played solely in L.A.? We're talking Lakers versus Clippers. Yes, I think the Lakers will hang on to number one and the Clippers will finish either two or three, so they won't face each other in the second round. And even if Denver or Dallas gets hot and jumps over the Clippers, the Clippers are still a scarier team in the in the postseason. And I know for a fact you don't want to see LeBron James in the first two rounds of the playoffs. Uh, I would be so sorely disappointed if that's the 1-4 matchup there in the semifinals. It seems like every year in the Western Conference, the best series of the conference is in that semifinal matchup. You talk about how many times the Rockets and the Warriors played in the semifinals, the Spurs and the Rockets have played early, and then those finals too. I mean, we want to see that in the finals, and I think that's going to happen there. Um, which LA team do you think takes the that series then? I think it's the Lakers. In, the, in a postseason series, it's all about having the best guys, and with all respect to Kawhi and Paul George, the LeBron Davis, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Anthony Davis pick and roll is unstoppable. I agree. I think the Lakers take it as well. Um, throwing a, 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 an audible in here, though, uh, is Frank Vogel coach of the year? That's a good question. Sure, yeah, why not? If, if the Lakers are going to finish the one seed, uh, bringing all these pieces together for the first time, uh, I agree, I think he is as well. Uh, I do want to give a shout-out to Budenholzer again in the Eastern Conference. Uh, not a lot of back-to-back Coach of the Year winners, though. I think you could also make a case for Rick Carlisle in Dallas. I agree. Uh, so, will Giannis Antetokounmpo win back-to-back MVPs? That'd make him the youngest ever to do that. He'd also be the 12th NBA player to be back-to-back MVP. Yeah, yeah. If the Bucks continue to just run roughshod over the Eastern Conference, it's really hard to make an argument for anyone else. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only other argument would be James Harden, but I think the, the Rockets are going to have to make a jump into that top two there, and I don't see that happening. Uh, he's putting up historic numbers, though. Is he going to keep scoring 40 points on the regular? I think so. The, the way this team is built, it's actually the partnership with him and Russell Westbrook has only improved James Harden's game. And I'm not sure anyone really expected it to work out like that, but he's putting up Wilt Chamberlain-esque numbers. Yeah, he's going to challenge Wilt there for uh, being the first player to, to go for 38 points or more uh, on average for a season. Uh, Wilt did it about five times. Uh, Harden's going to do it again this year. Uh, looking at another guy who's uh, performing exceptionally well right now, John ja Morant, is that the Rookie of the Year frontrunner? Yeah, as long as he stays healthy, Zion's not really been in the mix. R.J. Barrett's on a putrid Knicks team. Seems like voters tend to just pay attention to the big names. There have been some other guys who've been mid to late first-round selections who've played well but not uh, don't have the superstar sort of expectation of Morant. Uh, I think before December, I thought R.J. Barrett was in the conversation. He's still the only rookie playing more than 30 minutes a game. Uh, did not play well this month. Um, I, that being said, then, is this an underwhelming or disappointing rookie class? I think no, because this is an NBA right now where there's so many teams that are trying to get into the playoffs, and when you do that, you don't play young guys. If it was a situation where you had seven, eight, nine teams, maybe not openly tanking, but sort of stealth tanking by playing a lot of young guys a lot of minutes, then we would have a more favorable uh, 
opinion of this rookie class, but as it is, there just aren't a lot of rookies who are playing, like you said. Yeah, I mean, the rookies that are playing, I do like. I like Tyler Harrow in Miami there. I like both the Memphis guys, Brandon Clark and John Morant. Rui Hachimura has been a surprise in Washington as one of their foundational players heading forward. Uh, and so, I mean, th this is a class that I think you've got five standouts so far. They're still missing uh, Zion Williamson. There's been a little, uh, little talk conversation that he's progressing better. He might return the second half. I'm sure we'll see as some of these teams play out of fall out of the playoff contention there. Rookies starting to play more and more, and I think this class will be more impressive as we move forward there. That being said, which team here has the best five-year plan? set in motion. I really like what Atlanta has. Uh, they seem like they have their guy in Trey Young. Obviously, they're always going to be criticized for passing up on Luka Doncic and the opportunity to take him, but the team they've built around Trey Young, John Collins, another really good young guy, they have the advantage of playing in the not just the East, but the Southeast Division, which is historically very weak. They are set up to really be uh, a contender and a, a, a part of the playoff picture for the next at least half decade. Yeah, I mean, I think the easy answer is saying Dallas, you've got Luka, you've got Kristaps Porzingis. I don't know what the plan is to bring in another guy at this point in time. It's going to be attracting a free agent, but you've got to start thinking about how you're going to pay Luka in the future here. That kind of plays into that five-year plan. Uh, I like New Orleans. I think they did a really smart thing bringing them in the pieces they did. I think Jackson Hayes has been an impressive rookie with Zion Williamson out. You've seen Brandon Ingram kind of rise to superstar levels there. I think when you factor that piece in, that's a team that might get hot in the second half of the season. They are, that also might be a team that says we want a number, another top five pick and keep Zion Williamson out of the lineup. But I like them moving forward here, especially if Williamson can progress. And the way we've seen some of these rookies who sit out their first year come back. You talk about Blake Griffin, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. All of these guys have come back and in that second year played to a superstar level potential there. Do you, do you want to quickly mention, I, I'm aware that Atlanta has the second worst record in the NBA, because my other answer is probably Golden State, which has the worst record in the NBA, because they have, maybe not five years, because at that point, Steph, Clay, Draymond, they're starting to really age out, but their next three-year window is going to look really nice when they get a really nice draft pick, can possibly make some flips involving D'Angelo Russell and that pick, and uh, they'll be in business. All right, a big, fun, rapid-fire question then. If the Golden State Warriors get a top-two lottery pick, who are they selling that to with D'Angelo Russell? What's the package there? I, I am not sure at all. Uh, maybe you call up Toronto, see what you could get. Uh, Pascal Siakam's going to be off limits, which is a problem for them. Maybe uh, maybe if Victor Oladipo doesn't come back f to Indiana at full strength, they maybe try to sell high on him. There's so many options for what they could do because I think whatever 19-year-old you get from the top three in this draft doesn't fit your timeline well. I mean, they've got themselves set up for a package to bring in a potential all-star to play alongside there. Um, there's a really scary potential. Uh, this is speaking very big in hypotheticals. This We're is big and fun. Largest and funnest here. <laughs> um, but you take a look at upcoming free agents, superstars who may not sign with their small market team. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks might look at how the Kawhi Leonard situation unfolded for San Antonio, uh, an acrimonious split between a superstar and, and, and a small market team. And Giannis Antetokounmpo is a free agent in two years. You might want to get something for him while you can. And a young, smart, all-star guard and D'Angelo Russell, a number top three lottery pick, that might be the number one pick, that might be a number two pick, uh, package that up with a few other kind of complementary pieces, maybe work a three-team person in, send Draymond Green off. Get a bunch of future Giannis, picks. Bring, uh, join him up with Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, uh, and the Warriors are back, baby. <laughs> no, no.
No. Mm-mm. Nope. 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 It's not happening. No. Uh, no. We'll, we'll erase this part of the podcast. You guys <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> no, we won't. Um, now let's take a look at the Holly and the Jolly here. Are these Christmas games fun, or are they just a, a, a bah humbug, a Grinch on the Christmas spirit here? Uh, to me, the Christmas Day slate is something where a lot of casual fans really start paying attention to the NBA uh, and the, the, the rundown of the games, Celtics Raptors, Bucks Sixers, Rockets Warriors, Clippers Lakers, and Pelicans Nuggets, and the NBA really kind of whiffed on at least two, maybe three of those. Uh, Clippers Lakers is going to be fantastic. That's the uh, that's sort of the primetime game, 7 p.m. Central. The first one, Celtics Raptors, isn't bad, and uh, Bucks Sixers has potential, although the Sixers haven't quite lived up to expectations. They're still pretty good. It's it's a it's a B B minus slate. Yeah, let's flex out that Rockets Warriors game. Please, here. you can bring another game into that spot there. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a blowout. <laughs> Should be. Uh, but anyways, that's looking at the rapid fire there as we uh, kind of. 25 games of this season. And now let's take a look at what's driving his batty here. Uh, Cameron, do you want to give us a start? Yes. So here's my opinion on where this Spurs season is going for the rest of the way. To me, it's, we talked about two Western Conference playoff spots, seven and eight, and there are seven teams trying to get it. I think it's a situation where the team that zigs when everyone else is zagging is going to be in a really good spot because it's not it doesn't take much to fall down to the bottom of that pack and suddenly be one of the six or seven worst records in the NBA. The, the Spurs are already right on the cusp of that. You put yourself in lottery position. You can get some future assets. It's going to be tough with the team the Spurs currently have. And uh, the, the way it works out, though, is because there are so many teams that are contending, it's kind of a seller's market because there aren't that many guys who are clearly the big target to go get. There aren't that many disgruntled superstars. There aren't too many chips that are known to be available. If the Spurs make some guys available, I know there's been rumors around DeMar DeRozan that have kind of faded a little bit. LaMarcus Aldridge still has another year left on his deal, which is a little bit more appealing for teams. Kevin Love is going to be hard to trade because he's such a large contract. The Spurs could be in position to really set the market and get a really good return for a guy who maybe in a more competitive market wouldn't get that return. So I think that my big, fun, batty take is that the Spurs should start to blow it up and do it before someone else sets the market, before Cleveland can go in and say, this is what a superstar is worth now, we're trading Kevin Love. Yeah, that Kevin Love contract is almost untradeable. He signed a four-year, $120 million extension last year, last summer, uh, that started the next year, uh, that started this coming year, the 1920 season here. Uh, I mean, that's a fat contract. You look at a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge, you're going to be able to pay less for him. You're gonna, uh, it's a contract that you can move off your books a little sooner than that. And you're getting similar contributions. Uh, they both play a similar style game. Uh, you know I'm on the record that if the Spurs are going to miss the playoffs, I want to see the DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, Luka Shamanich, Yaka Pertle lineup. Uh, get all the young guys in there, the under-25 guys in there, and just let them kind of run uh, run around and, uh, and get that experience, get that play time. That sounds exciting to me. Um, what drives me batty is if we're selling... If we're selling and we're going to be one of these teams that finishes at the top of the lottery, that means I have to start paying attention to college basketball. Uh, and Cameron, I love basketball. I love watching basketball. Um, I just can never get in, A, to college basketball, knowing that these players, the stars are all one and dones, uh, the inconsistencies with the teams there, and then just also the, um, the fact that these guys aren't able to make money. Um, if the NCAA ever finds a way to pay players uh, to play for them, to compensate players uh, without giving millions of dollars to the universities, without the players receiving any of that, 
I might be able to pay more attention to it. Um, but now since the Spurs are, are going to be maybe picking in that top 14, that top 12, maybe top 10 spots there, um, i got to figure out who those guys are, who I should be excited for to watch uh, play for the Spurs next year alongside all that repertoire of young players I just named off there. Uh, and that does not sound very fun to me. Uh, it's a lot <laughs> of work. To all your ba- sorry it's, to all the college basketball fans. It's a lot of work. We had fun preparing when we did our, our draft show last, uh, last June, but it, it was a cram session, and a lot of people had done a lot of that research for us. And to try to be out at the front right now, and, and if you really need to get your basketball fix and the Spurs aren't doing it for you, it is a difficult time to be a college basketball fan, especially this time of year before conference really gets going, and it's so hard to know. I will say this. This has been an, a very entertaining college basketball year, and in that there really is no dominant team. And, and sometimes that's, that's bad for ratings because people like to watch a, a Duke, for example, last year. They wanted to see what Zion was doing. They wanted to see if anyone could topple that, uh, that team. It's still really early in the college basketball season. There are only four unbeaten teams left. There's a lot of parity this year. Uh, I'll just admit, Cameron, I didn't know college basketball season had started. So okay. All right. <laughs> I got some catching up to do, but uh, I got that in my future here as we uh, look forward uh, here to our Christmas break. Uh, we're going to take the next week off. I'm going to be reading college basketball statistics, watching some highlights Deep here. Deep dives, baby. Cameron's going to be enjoying his break more than I will because I've got some homework to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, while we're away on that break, be sure to like and subscribe us. Uh, subscribe to us. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean. We're out there in that podcast multiverse. And of course, keep it to Ken's 5, your official San Antonio Spurs station here. We've got Evan Klosky, Joe Reinagle, Vinny Vinzetta on air, breaking down all of the Spurs highlights in action uh, from the pregame to the postgame. Online, we've got David Flores, a Spurs writer here for the uh, for the Kins Five uh, team. Uh, Cameron Songer and I are both covering Spurs online and on this podcast. Uh, and be sure to follow us on Twitter too at Big Fun Pod, at Cameron Songer, at Jackson Kins Five for all your Spurs. And uh, I, I put some fun things. Yeah, you might see some pictures of my dog too. There you go. Follow for the dogs. <laughs> all right. Uh, any other last thoughts here? No. Come, come for the Spurs. Stay for the stay, stay for the Terrier pictures. <laughs> All right, that's been the Big Fun Pod this time. We'll see you next time.